0: Well, this is another night of our family conference. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to a very old man. You find him amongst the crowd of people that fill the pages of the Old Testament in talking about David and his people, the people that came and the people that went during his reign. And I'd like to introduce you to this old man. You read him in 2 Samuel chapter 17. He sets before us the question what happens when a, an older man retires before his time? 2 Samuel chapter 17, and we we'll read verse 27. It's the time of the Absalom rebellion, and David is in full flight from Jerusalem, rejected of men. And it says in 2 Samuel 17:27, "It came to pass that when David was come to Mahanaim, that Shobi the son of Nahash of Rabbah of the children of Ammon, and Machir the son of Amul of Lodibar, and Basili the Gileadite of Rogelim." Brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind for David. That was the excellence that marked him. Two chapters further on, Second Samuel chapter nineteen and verse thirty-one. The Absalom rebellion has been crushed and David's coming back to the throne. We read in verse 31 that Basilei the Gileadite came down from Rogelim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now Basilei was a very very aged man, even four score years or 80 years of age. He had provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. The king said unto Basilei, Come thou over with me, and I'll feed thee with me in Jerusalem. And Basilei said unto the king, How long have I to live that I should go up to, with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day fourscore years old. Can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men, singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant yet be a burden unto my lord the king? Thy servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king. And why should the king recompense it me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in my own city and be buried in the grave of my father and mother. But behold thy servant Chimham, let him go over with my lord the king. Do to him what shall seem good unto thee. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me. May the Holy Spirit add His blessing to the reading of His word. Now, this old man Barzillai was one of those very few people who dared to take a stand for David in the dark days of the Absalom rebellion. They were not only dark days, they were dangerous days. Yet, this rugged individual, ignoring the ominous portents of the future, turned to David and stood with him in this crisis hour. He blazes out for one brief moment like a meteor in a dark night sky and then he plunges back again into the obscurity that covers most of his tale. The story of Basilai divides into two parts. In the opening part in chapter 17 we have the excellence which marked him. He knew how to live, did this old man, knew how to live. He was a highland chief, as we would call him today, and he came from a fighting clan. His family had been obliged to hold their fields and farms against brigands and foreign invaders and wild animals. On a clear day across the glens and glades of Gilead, you could see the flocks and herds of old Basilian. and you could see his kinsmen armed to the teeth, as tough and as rough a group of men as you'd ever want to behold. Old I would gather his men around his table from time to time and we can, well, imagine the kind of thing that he would say. He would say to his men, you know, you fellows, that David is the Lord's anointed. He's God's chosen king. That's been settled in heaven. He's altogether lovely. He's the chiefest of 10,000 to my soul. You keep your eye on him, you fellows. You look at David and and way into the ages yet to come when David's greatest son would occupy the other side of the story. Old Basil I would say to his men, Look, you fellows, I've lived a long time. I've kept my eyes open. I've watched the ebb and flow of affairs in this country. There was Eli, for example. What a failure he was. What a dismal failure. Failure as a person. Failure as a parent. Failure as a priest. Then there was Samuel. Oh my, what a man was Samuel. What a mother he had. What a ministry he had. What a mind he had. But oh... What a mistake he made. He should have kept his sons out of the priesthood. And King Saul. Oh, I got no use for him. Looked like a king, all right. All the outward trappings of a king, big fellow. and But a big baby, just the same. Mocked at by Goliath. Scared to stiff of, of Goliath, the Philistine giant from Gath. But David... Ah, you men. When I heard of David, when I heard how he came from the presence of his father, the holy anointing oil of God upon him, how he went down into the valley of death to slay him that had the power of death, and then from the fight returned victorious, and all across this land of ours they shouted, Hallelujah for David. Keep your eye on David. Keep your eye on David's person. That's the secret to living, my friends. Get your eye on the person of David. And then perhaps on a later occasion he would gather them again around his table and the Absalom rebellion was now coming to a head. The tribes of Israel, almost to a man, certainly all the young people flocked after handsome Absalom, wicked man that he was, And old Basilai would gather his men around him and he'd say, you you, you remember this, you fellows? Nothing's changed in heaven, you know. He's still the Lord's anointed. He's still God's chosen king. Don't you ever forget that. That's settled in heaven. There's no power from the pit. There's no amount of rebellion in the country. There are no vain fools like Absalom and the false prophets like Ahithophel ever going to dethrone David. His title to the throne is settled in heaven. You get your eye on David's person, but you get your eye on his position. He's the Lord's anointed. That means he's God's chosen king. And so this old man would preach. He knew how to live. At times he could speak like an orator. He knew how to live. That was the excellence that marked him. He not only knew how to live, he knew how to give. That also was the excellent excellence that marked him unstinted, unsolicited giving. You didn't have to send people around looking for for Obazzer to try and get him to donate a few coffers to the court, a few coins to the coffers of Israel. He didn't have to come up with a faith promise plan or a tax deduction plan or a matching fund plan or any of these other kind of plans to get old Basilide to give. He gave gave out of the fullness of his heart. It says he brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and so on. The Holy Spirit delights in recording the giving of old Basilide. Did you ever notice the constant repetition of the little word and in that list of items that he brought to David? It says he brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and perch and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and cheese and butter and sheep. For David, 13 times in one sentence he uses the little word and. I remember a long time ago and far, far from here, when I was a little boy going to school, they would insist upon us in our grammar classes that you only use one injunction in a sentence. If you have a compulsive E to use more than one and in a sentence, you, you curb that and you put down a period and start a new sentence. Well quite obviously the Holy Spirit didn't write the Bible according to the rules of English grammar. They had an aid to education when I was a boy in school. I don't know why they took it out. Well I do know why but uh, I think it could be put back in. It was a bamboo cane. It sat, sat on the teacher's desk. It was about this long. And from time to time he would pick it up and swish it around. and That was his authority in the classroom. You didn't fool around in classrooms when I was a boy. If you didn't behave yourself, you got shot out of school and you got no more education. Well, they taught us that you use only one conjunction in a sentence. If I would submitted a test paper, an essay, and it contained all these ands, I would have been invited after the school was, session was over to step forward and come a little closer acquainted with that bamboo cane. <laughs> and two or three visits in that direction had taught you that there was only one, one adjective in, in a sentence. The Holy Spirit doesn't think so. There's a reason for that. It's called a polysyndeton. That's the, the Greek word, word for what that is. If you don't know what it is, I'll tell you. It's the opposite to an arcyndertum. So now you know exactly what it is. Why does the Holy Spirit do that? He does it all the way through the Bible in the King James text. If you're using a modern text, it's all been taken away from you and you've lost that much. There's 46,227 little ands in the Bible and they've taken them all away from you, most of them. But they're there for a purpose. The Holy Spirit is master of his own language and everybody else's. He knows uh, all about the law of uh, the uh, polycyndrome. Doesn't impress him at all. He brought at and basins and earthen vessels. Well that's part of the structure of the sacred text and it comes out everywhere in the King James text and nowhere in most of the others. And you've been robbed to that extent. The purpose of it is to slow you down. This is not a grocery list. If it was a grocery list, you you would leave the ends out. He bought beds, basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour and corn, and so on, see. And he'd hurry down through the list and take a note of the, the price at the bottom of the page. The Holy Spirit's not interested in doing that. He's interested in slowing us down. You find the same principle at work in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis. In the beginning God created heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the and the spirit. Do you know that the little word and in the King James text occurs one hundred times in one short chapter? Now there's got to be a reason why the Holy Spirit does it. He does it to slow us down. He does it because he wants to acknowledge every single item in its own standing, as standing there by itself, joined on each side by the word and. It's intended to lift our eyes higher than that. Here's a man who not only knew how to live, he knew how to give, and he gave in such a way that the Holy Spirit wrote it this way into his book up in heaven. When you, as a child of God, stand at the judgment seat of Christ, And the books are opened and the Holy Spirit standing at the right hand of the Majesty on high comes forward with the record of your giving. He's not going to say that he gave you this, 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 this and this. No. He's going to say I remember the day you gave me this. Oh, that was a marvelous thing for you to do. I understand, of course, that you just lost your job and yet you you gave with all your heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then there was this item, and down through the list of your giving. You'll be glad of that little word and one of these days. You'll be glad that the Holy Spirit doesn't gallop down through the giving and uh, that's that. On to the next thing, please. No, no, he gave and he gave and he gave. So this old fighting man knew how to live and he knew how to give. That was the excellence. Which marked him, but it's a great pity you see that the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. He goes on to chapter nineteen, and when you get into chapter nineteen, you've found that the excellence which marked him in Chapter seventeen now becomes the excuses which marred him. This man was. Here's the bottom line, as they put it today in the business world. They want to see uh, the bottom line because that shows uh, the extent to which your company has lost lost money or made money. The bottom line of all this with old Barzillai was very simply this. He was a man who was willing to give generously, like a king but he wasn't willing to go. There are many Christians like that. Willing to give. Thank God for that. But what a tragedy. They're too not willing to go. And so we look at the excuses which marked him, which marred him. He said, I am this day 80 years old. I'm getting up there myself. Come February I shall be taking my stand alongside old Basilai, 80 years of age. Look at the excuses that marked this man. First one was the obvious one. He said, I'm too old. I mean, when a fellow gets about the 79 or 80 years of old, unless he's um, made of the stuff of the immortals, He's going to have to slow down a bit, but he doesn't have to give it up altogether. The first excuse had to do with his age. He says, "I'm too old." Of course, if you're 18 years of age, you can say, "Well, that's not me." No, but you—you you come in under the same principle. You can't say I'm too old, but you can say I'm too young, and you—you. You, you, can say anywhere in between, I am old, too old, and I am too young, anywhere in there you can say, well, not right now. Not right now. Uh, I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I'm too busy, I can't do it right now. David didn't think so. Do you think David was blind? Do you think David couldn't see that this old fellow, Barzillai, who had joyed and rejoiced his heart to to warm the soul of this dear man. Don't you think David could see that he was an old man? Do you think he only needed bright young executives to help him run the kingdom? Do you think he needed only brawny athletic warriors to help him run the kingdom? Don't you think he needed some old men too? Of course he did. I'm too old, he said. David didn't think so. It's too much, he said. And he rings out three excuses right on top of each other. Can I, can I, can I? Can I discern between good and ill? Can I eat what I taste, what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any voice, the singing men and singing women? He said in effect to David, I don't have any aptitude for it, David, my dear Lord and King. I know you're coming back and uh, we we rejoice in your return and uh, we are glad for your coming again but uh, 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 it's too much. It's too much. I I, I can't. You'd, You'd want me to do some counseling and I wouldn't be any good at that. Can I discern between good and evil? Of course he could. He'd just done it. Of all the multitudes in Israel, he was a a few of that handful of people that dared to take a stand for David at the very blackest hour of midnight in David's affairs. Can I discern between good and evil? Of course you could. But he says, I don't have any aptitude for it. Well, you certainly do. Well, he says, I've got no appetite for it. Can I taste what I eat or what I drink? He was being invited by the king to come and sit at the king's table to banquet with David day by day until the rest of his life. An opportunity to sit in the council chamber of David Most High and watch the way he ran the kingdom. If he'd done that, he could have come home at night many, many a time and said, you should have seen what David did today. It was an old fellow and he'd go on to tell a tale uh, and and, uh, how he had woven the story into a a song and now he's going to sing it to them and you can just imagine the, the stately stanzas of the 24th Psalm for example ringing around the walls of the banqueting chamber as David with his harp in his hand and his song, a song in his soul burst into worship David says, that's all very well, all this, all this uh, eating and drinking and being merry. I, I'm beyond all that. I don't have any appetite for it at all. I have no aptitude for it, and I don't have any appreciation for it either. Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? No, no, it's David, thank you very much, uh, it's, uh, it's too much, I'm too old, it's too much, I, I don't have any aptitude for it, any appetite for it, or any appreciation for it. Uh, I'm quite willing to give, but I'm not willing to go. And then he said, it's too far. Thy servant, he said, will go a little way over Jordan with the king. I think that about sums up, O Barzillai, He was willing to go a little way, but he wasn't willing to go all the way. He would make a token crossing of the Jordan, but he was not willing for total commitment by crossing Jordan and coming through death, burial and resurrection to take his stand on the hallelujah side of death. Typical of million Christians is too far, too far. Supposing Jesus had said that, Supposing uh, you can see the eternal council chambers of the Most High God in the ages before the beginning of time. And they are discussing one with another whether or not they should act in creation. They know perfectly well amongst themselves that if they act in creation that a mystery of iniquity will eventually raise its head in the galaxies and it would have to be dealt with somewhere sometime in the eternal ordering of God's affairs in relation to planet Earth. And he, they say to each other, well, well if we act in creation, we shall also one day have to act in redemption. And if we have to act in redemption, that means that one of us will have to step into the arena of human affairs and become involved in human life on planet Earth. And the Lord Jesus, we can see him step, supposing he had stepped forward and said, I'll go, Father, beloved Holy Spirit of mine, I'll go, I'll go. I'll tell you what, I'll go as far as Bethlehem. I'll step out of the ivory palaces into the world of woe. I'll go down to that planet there in the far reaches of space and I'll be born on planet Earth. Eternal, uncreated, self-existing, second person of the Godhead as I am, I will contract myself to the span of a virgin's womb and I will condescend to be born as a man amongst men. But when when the angels come to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, well I'm coming home I'll go as far as Bethlehem I'll show them what God was like if God condescended to become a man I'll go as far as Bethlehem supposing he said I'll not only go as far as Bethlehem I'll grow up amongst them I'll, I'll, I'll go to school I'll become a carpenter I'll live and teach teach the book, and and I'll live amongst them. Show you what you like, Father. I'll do that for 33 and a half years. Show them what God would do, what God is like, what God did manifest in flesh is like. I'll go as far as the Mount of Transfiguration, and I will be take this representative company of three of my friends, and... I'll show them the glory, Father, that I have with you and had with you before ever time began. I'll go as far as the mount. But when Moses and Elijah come, well, the, the poor fellows have to stay here because I'm coming on home. Or, supposing he said, I'll not only go as far as Bethlehem and to the, to the Transfiguration, or I'll go to Gethsemane. I'll go into the garden, I'll weep and I'll pray and I'll sweat great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And I'll pour out my soul unto death and I'll look into the depths of that dreadful cup. And then when the angel comes to strengthen me, I'm coming home. I'll go as far as Gethsemane. Supposing Jesus had said, I'll go a little way over this Jordan, but he went all the way. And oh my friend, if he went all the way, how dare we say, I'll go a little way. It's too... Ah, he said, that too old, it's too much, I'm too weak, it's too far. He said, it's too late. Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in mine own city and be buried by the grave of my father and mother. That was the real expl- explanation. He liked the old way of life, even it led only to a grave. He said, I'm ready to retire. I've already got my plans made for retirement. His boy, he's he's tired. He gets tired sooner when you get older. And he gets tired and he said, "Uh, uh, it's too late, David. I've got my plans made. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a rocking chair. And I'm going to set it up by the tomb with my mum and daddy up the hill. And I'm going to rock myself back and forth. Just rock myself back and forth until at last it's time for me to go. You say, what a stupid plan. Yeah, it's about as stupid as some of ours. Fancy the golden years and wasting it. It's the way some people do one last chance to get in and do something of lasting significance for the Lord Jesus. It's too late, he said, I've got my plans made. And then he said, it's too bad. It's too bad. He said, "Uh, I'm not coming, David. I thank you very much for the invitation. But uh, i got a young fellow here. I'm bringing him, him along. He's the kind of tutoring him in what it's like to be a member of the Hebrew aristocracy. And uh, one day I hope that he might serve the king in high office. Why don't you do for him, Chimham is his name, and uh, uh, I'll back out and you do this for him. Let Chimham go with you. And David looked at old Basilai. He said, Yes, I guess you're right, old fellow, he said. Thank you very much for what you gave me. I'll never forget it. I'll have it recorded by the the angel that keeps charge of these things in such a way it will never be forgotten. I'll lock it into a polycyndeton. And you could take Jim Ham with you. And that's what David did. David said, thank you, thank you very much, old man. Like yourself, I shall... Uh, never forget this occasion, and the the way you gave to me was the giving of a prince. I was wanting you to come and help me run a kingdom. Well, I shall never ask you again. Thank you so much, dear old Barzillai, for what you did, what you gave. In those crisis hours, they'll sing about it in the Songs of Zion throughout all eternity come on Barzillai, you come with me son come and get this old man's crown and that's exactly what he did because you see when you read between the lines and study all the scriptures that have bearing on the subject it would seem that uh, when they got to Jerusalem that David uh, said one day to Jim Ham, as he was wandering around the palace grounds he said hello Jim Ham. what are you doing here oh, oh yes 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 of course You. what are you doing in that uh, outfit <laughs> it, it looks like you've been sh- shoveling manure on the you, you, you can't go wandering around the the, the royal palace looking like that but you don't have any means, do you, to live this new life? Well, I'll give you all you need. Down the road about a mile or so, there's an old farm. It belongs to me. It's part of my heritage. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Jim Jimham. Uh, I'm going to uh, give it to you. And you can do what you like with it. and. Maybe you want to refurbish it and put it back in business again. Or do something with it. Well, Chimham built an inn, you see. We know that because the Bible tells us so. It doesn't tell us in these two chapters I read tonight, but you can dig in the Bible and find for yourself. And you read of the habitation, the khan, the inn, would be our word for it, The Inn of Chimham, which is by Bethlehem. I'll give it to you since it's written in my notes here and you might think I'm just kidding you. Jeremiah chapter 41 and verse 17. And what Chimham did, he built an inn and he built it so well that it was still there four or five hundred years later when the Babylonian army had swept away the nation of Judah into oblivion practically. And the, the the rebels that were still left in Jerusalem rounded up Jeremiah and forcibly absconded with him to Egypt. But on the way, they stopped at Chimham's inn. It's by Bethlehem, says the Holy Spirit. It was still there five hundred years later. Ham's Inn. One day in heaven, the Lord Jesus got up off his throne and he went over to where the old men were sitting together in Abraham's bosom. He said, is that you, Basilai? Good to see you. Do you know where I'm going, Ham? You come with me, boy. Do you know where I, what, what, what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to get off my throne, I'm going to put on humanity, I'm going down to planet Earth in outer space, and I'm going to be born. Moreover, I've decided to be born in your inn. Amen. Amen. That was the excellence that marked him. He took that old man's crown. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful story woven into the tapestry of Scripture, full of instruction for us today. Help us to live with one eye on David's person and one eye on his position, our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless thy word to our hearts and our brother as he comes. In Jesus' name, amen.